0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January twenty 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The docket for the U.S. Supreme Court is coming into clearer focus. Ilya Shapiro, the editor-in-chief of the Cato Institute's Supreme Court Review, gives us a look at this court terms, past and future. Well, now we have a uh, a full understanding of what cases are going to make up the October turn 2007 as it's as it's called, it's kind of a, the court follows an academic year, as it were. Uh, The courts granted 74 um, cases to be heard, Um, two have already been dismissed before argument, four of those were pushed to next year's, and then you got to add in one that's what's called original jurisdiction, one state suing another that the Supreme Court hears directly, and one on a special kind of appellate jurisdiction. So we have in total 70 arguments, which is a record low, one less than last year. Some of the highlights so far, there's been a couple of election law cases, uh, one out of Washington State, one out of New York about the election of judges and what kind of control parties have over their primaries. Uh, there's been uh, the Stone Ridge case, which we talked about last week, which is uh, one of the biggest securities law cases in in decades, uh, narrowing or holding narrow the, the types of claims that investors can bring. Uh, namely, that they can't sue third parties that might have been involved with uh, violators of securities laws. Uh, a, a significant opinion that another significant opinion that came out was in the Gall and Kimbrow cases. Those are about sentencing, and they continued the Booker line of cases in saying that when we said that the sentencing guidelines weren't mandatory. We meant just that. And essentially now there's going to be less review at the appellate level of sentences. Um, As long as the the trial court, the district court starts off with the guidelines as a a rough roadmap and they're reasonable in how they deviate from that, Um, they provide the reason in their opinion, there's not really going to be much room for second-guessing in the appellate courts. And one of those cases involved the 100-to-1 crack to powder cocaine disparity, um, and the, the Supreme Court ruled that it's perfectly fine for the district court to say that's uh, that disparity is out of whack and we can adjust our sentence accordingly. What do we know about the Roberts Court after having gone through a full, essentially now a full term and a part of a full term? What do we know about the Roberts Court? Well, for one thing, each year, and this goes back even before... Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, we're getting fewer and fewer cases. The court is doing a uh, a thorough job in putting itself out of business. Uh, part of this is because uh, there's the, and this dovetails with other trends, part of this is because there's an increased emphasis on incrementalism. We're not seeing a Brown versus Board of Education, Roe v. Wade type of case coming up and being taken in the court wanting to make sweeping changes in the law. No, they want to kind of nibble at the margins and shape the law that way. Um, partially, it's it's an emphasis on uh, resolving circuit splits, meaning rather than one sexy case kind of coming out of the Ninth Circuit or some other circuit that they want to slap down and make new law on. They're going to wait until different circuits come out different ways on perhaps narrow points of law, but they want to resolve those those circuit splits. Another thing you see is that there's cases are, or terms are becoming more spring-loaded, meaning... More cases are heard in the spring than in the fall. We're roughly halfway through the year so far, through the term, and we've only heard about 40% of the cases. So while the March, the February, March, and April dockets are completely full, um, what we saw in October and November, that only one case per day was being argued. And finally, uh, more and more, we're seeing the docket wade toward business cases rather than um, constitutional rights of of other kinds. Uh, Right now, this year's docket is 46% business cases. At one point, it was over half, but some of the recent CERT grants have pushed that uh, below half. Uh, A few years ago, it was, uh, I think as as recently as October term 2004, three years ago, it was about a third. Is there a clear reason for that? Uh, Again, this is uh, something that Chief Justice Roberts has certainly accelerated, he understands coming from the private sector, previously justices would not so much come from being big partners at big firms. He understands that there's a lot of significance in, in cases involving, for example, Stone Ridge and a, uh, an arcane interpretation of securities laws. Uh, these things, while not getting the attention of uh, you know big constitutional law scholars at Harvard and Yale and Chicago, uh, are very important for the business community and are significant towards the economy. Uh, another significant area of law that the court is, is going into, uh, understandably, is national security law. And as we're involved uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, there's two significant cases. One that's already been argued, the Boumediene case, in which my colleague Tim Lynch authored amicus brief about the habeas rights of detainees on Guantanamo, Uh, That's going to be an explosive decision, whichever way it comes out. And another one that's going to be argued in March uh, about the habeas rights of U.S. citizen detainees uh, held in Iraq by multinational U.S.-led forces, what kind of rights they have to challenge their detention. There is one clear-cut constitutional case that will go before the court, I believe, in March. That's right, and, and that one is being headed up by my colleague Bob Levy, uh, who organized and is, is financing that litigation, uh, D.C. versus Heller, the, the guns case, the Second Amendment case. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, whether, first of all, the court does recognize— an individual right to own guns, and secondly, how they circumscribe that right or whether they, they leave that open to further regulation. The interesting development there is that the U.S. government, the Solicitor General's office, filed a brief that, that satisfied nobody. Um, they were expected to come in on the side of Heller, on the side of... of of uh, my colleague Bob Levy, but uh, they filed a, a, a brief essentially trying to split the baby, saying remand it back to the Court of Appeals or even the district court for fact-finding on whether these regulations are, are reasonable or not, kind of taking issue with the level of scrutiny that the appellate court took. One other thing I can note, in terms of, and this goes along with the theme of, of denying review in, in cases that might be of interest to scholars, and that even might make the front page of the of the New York Times, uh, the Abigail Alliance case, which is about the the right to medical self-defense, whether you have the right to um, drugs that haven't completed the FDA review process but could potentially save your life, they denied cert in that. Uh, the lesbian custody dispute, Miller Jenkins versus Miller Jenkins. Um, this this couple moved to Vermont. Uh, lesbians got married there, had a, had a daughter. Um, then they split up. One moved to Virginia, became a uh, born-again Christian, and now there's a custody dispute, one living in Vermont, one in Virginia. The Supreme Court uh, declined to review that. Every other year, there's a there's a new sex toy regulation case out of the 11th Circuit, Alabama, Georgia. They denied certain that again this year. Um there's an alienation of affection case, which is, uh, if you, you might have heard, you know, decades ago, 100 years ago, you could sue uh, typically another man for stealing your wife from you, and that could be a tort, and and that's still on the books in, in many states, and there was a case that came up on that. They declined to review the constitutionality of that particular tort. Um, also, a, a quirky little uh, challenge to the University of Montana's campaign finance regulation for student elections. They, they declined to take a look at that. Ilya Shapiro is the editor-in-chief of the Cato Institute's Supreme Court Review. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can purchase your copy of the latest Supreme Court Review at our website, cato.org.